Welcome, one and all, to another episode of the Close Encounters of the Nerdkind Podcast. My name's Imran, TJ Sutherland, Dan Colacott, with new episodes released on the first and third Mondays of the month. Catch Close Encounters of the Nerdkind Podcast at foreverinelectricdreams.com. Welcome, friends. You're tuned in to another episode of the Close Encounters of the Nerd Kind podcast. Thank you very much for your time and company uh, for our show today. You're listening to episode 42, the the much-anticipated, highly-anticipated follow-up to episode 41, which saw us revisit our Catching Up with the Classic series. Before we jump in uh, and bring you all the way up to speed, uh, my name's Imran. I'm joined uh, by the crew en masse, another packed house today, which is awesome. Let's head over to TJ Sutherland. How are you today, my friend? I'm good. And apparently, uh, I've heard a rumor that it's coming home. (laughs) There must be some kind of cricket reference. I'm not sure. Uh, (laughs) We tend to keep these sport free, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Dan Collicott, how are you today? I think he's referring to STDs, maybe. <laughs> oh, dude! <laughs> Sorry, are we, are we definitely starting on that tone? Is that is that is that what we're, that we're going with this? Lowering it from the beginning. Wow. <laughs> And heading all the way over to Montreal, who's scratching his head, wondering, why do I keep coming back? It's Dennis Jose Francois. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not for long. Uh, This extra special episode sees us uh, continue what we started on our last episode, which is uh, our our catching up with the classics series. These are becoming incredibly enjoyable for me. So we had a really, really great episode uh, last week. And uh, for people who hadn't caught that episode, what the uh, aim is, is uh, the four of us uh, convene with a list of uh, three classic movies that we have each not seen. And uh, the other members of the group, the other three members, will subsequently pick which of the three films we have to watch in time for our next recording. This being our next recording. So uh, we are going to... We've got a great series of movies to kind of catch up on. Shall we Should we go through what we have or should we just pick a person and jump straight in? Uh, let's, let's Okay, let's pick. I'm definitely not going to start with Tej. I can definitely say that much. Tej has tasked with watching... And critiquing uh, the greatest movie of all time, so we're going to save Tej no, no, for last. Sorry, sorry, incorrect. The greatest okay. movie ever made. The greatest movie ever made. Right. Beg your pardon. Beg, wow, you, you're on board with the lingo, so I'm thinking you enjoyed it, but we'll see. Uh, let's go to Dennis first. Dennis, you Hello? had an epic trio of movies that you had never seen. A really, right. really epic trio of movies. May I run them down? You may indeed. You picked uh, Shawshank Redemption. Donnie Darko and Heat. Mm-hmm. That was a colossal trio of movies. Uh, yeah. We subsequently decided in a hard fought contest to go with Shawshank Redemption as the film that you have to watch. Right. Uh, I think had things been a bit different, um, I think Dan and Dan picked Donnie Darko. I would have also, I think, but we couldn't have discussed it because young Tej hasn't seen it and vehemently <laughs> refused in time for this recording. So we have, we are left with, uh, Shawshank and well, he obviously being one of my favorite movies as well, but I, I picked Shawshank. So this is really, really cool. Objectively, if I may ask you, for someone who's never seen Shawshank, how would you surmise the the plot of the movie? It is a prison buddy redemption film. Concise. Yeah. Um, interestingly, 
remember I said I didn't know anything about it. Yes. I realized once I started watching it that I had seen uh, a couple of maybe images or something, and I knew that there was at least one scene set in a prison. (laughs) 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 Which is actually... Like 90% of the film. Yeah, the entire (laughs) film. Um, So uh, my overall opinion is is it's, it's a very tidy plot, isn't it? Uh, can I can I just interrupt you? May I just interrupt? I think you should give your review in the style of a Morgan Freeman voiceover. Uh, <laughs> the entire review. <laughs> Sorry, no, I, 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 can't, I couldn't do I couldn't do him justice. I just couldn't. <laughs> um, I. It's a very tidy plot. Uh, like everything wraps up very nicely at the end, um, and I think one of the reasons I. I think maybe a peripherally I was aware that it was a prison movie is that prison movies are in my category of three types of movies I tend to avoid. Um, and uh, the other three, the, the other two are prison movies, cop movies, and uh, horse movies. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, can you repeat that last one? Horse movies. <laughs> The unsung genre of the horses focused around the horses. (laughs) (laughs) And believe me, give me three examples of horse movies. Uh, uh, Yeah, sure. Spirit, Running Free, uh, War Horse, and Black Beauty. There you go. Black Beauty is a series, isn't it? It was a film originally. It was a film originally. And there are others. You know, uh, to be honest, modern horse movies, I'd say Westerns, but I just, I don't know, there's something about, there's something about prison and, about cop, and cop movies and stuff that I just, I don't know, I don't, I don't really like the same with series and stuff. But anyway, this, it was a good film. It was a great movie. Uh, okay. I really liked it. I found, I thought it was, it's one of those films where all of the characters are interesting and several things happen along the way, you know, where, you know, the, the, the film has got multiple points that you can refer to different, you know, levels in the film, which lead up to the end. And the payoff is worth it. Actually. Um, I, I thought I saw the payoff coming early and then I thought, Oh no, they're not going to do that. And then, Oh yeah, they are going to do that. And that's quite nice. You know what I mean? You're sort of like this early on in the film when uh, they, they toss the cells and uh, he comes in and you're like, Oh, he's going to find the, he's going to find the little hammer. And he doesn't. And I thought to myself, oh, it's in the Bible. That's, that, that was my immediate thought. He's hitting it in the Bible. Because they seem to make too much of a deal about him, like taking the Bible off him, blah, blah, blah. But then they give it back and they don't do the reveal. I thought, okay, then maybe it wasn't. And then you don't really hear any more about it. You don't see him carving anything or, or anything more, right? You think, oh, that was just a thing at the beginning of the film. It's nothing to do with the main story. And then at the end, it turns out, yeah, he used that damn thing to cut his way out. For me, that was the only bit that was a little bit difficult to swallow but it is spread over what 20 years mm-hmm. so maybe over 20 years with a tiny little hammer you could burrow through what looks like five meters of rock um but otherwise yeah it was quite tiny so um, apolo- apolo- i should have said at the outset obviously we are spoiling the heck out of each of the films that we're discussing it was it'll be in the description as well but what was your as you kind of said that was really an interesting point about the one thing that you found difficult to kind of swallow as such was what was your initial reaction though because i remember vividly watching uh that movie and it's leading to 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 mislead you into that the fact that andy has hung himself at the at the end yes. of the cell yeah, um, that's right. what was your and then you kind of it's empty what was your reaction were you kind of like well, 
mind blown by it, or were you like, nah, he's buying the poster, <laughs> or where? Were no, you no, I wasn't. I, I, it took me a while, and I but I think just before they throw the thing at the poster, I realised he, he's behind a poster, mm. and it makes sense because they they play into it quite well, yeah, all the way through because he keeps changing the poster, and you know there are definitely clues there along the way, but they don't rub your face in it, and I think that might be a bit lost in the art of filmmaking yeah. nowadays where you know what's the story is it Chekhov's gun where the the idea that you know if you see an item a prominent item early in the movie or in, in a story then it's going to be important in the story right. yeah. yeah and that's definitely a case of, but it's, I, feel, I feel like it was very subtle yeah in this the other thing that occurred to me and this is partly because obviously I'm, I'm in the I work in the in the industry is 1994 but I realized watching the credits and just watching the whole film that this was done completely old school. The only visual effect in that film is probably some guy with a big sheet of metal and a flashy light doing the storm effect. <laughs> right. And, and everything else is shot in camera and in like they, I'm sure they found some big house mansion house, which they turned into a prison and whatever. I don't think there's even a sky replacement anywhere. And I, the reason I think that's relevant is because it's 1994. And by this, by 1994, film, you know, history of cinema was nearly 100 years old, maybe even 100 years old. And it makes you realize that for the first 100 years of making movies, we've pretty much done everything the same way. And for the last 30 years of making movies, everything's changed. Yeah. And you can see that by the hand, like the really, really short credits. Like if you made that film now, it would be made in a completely different manner. And it probably wouldn't have the same feel at all. Um, so that was the other thing that struck me because it's been, I think it's been a long time since I watched a movie that was made hundred percent old school. And I, mm-hmm. you know, you notice it in things like when they zoom in, where they've scratched their names on the wall. And it's not a smooth zoom, you know what I mean? There's a bit of camera wobbling there and stuff like that. And I and that just adds to the realness of everything, I think. Um, going back to the film itself, though, I really quite liked a lot of the peripheral characters, um, like the Brooks, the librarian, for instance. Right. Um, and and I, I just thought they were great. Uh, yeah, it was it was all round quite good. So I'd give it a very solid. Give it a very solid eight and a half or even a nine out of 10. Wow. That's a great review. I probably have to maybe watch it another, uh, one more time. I can't really find flaw in it other than the convenience of not the convenience, but like, could he really have dug his way out? But then that's the question over 20 years. Maybe he could have. The other thing I noticed about the film, by the way, is that there is only one female cast member. And that's right at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Absolutely, every single other person in the film is male, at least until he gets out of prison. And then, you know, when he goes to the halfway house, the lady opens the door for him into his room. Yeah. Picking up on that point about it being a very neat and uh, film, and the the thing you found difficult to swallow. For me, using those exact words, the thing that I probably didn't like the most was the fact that they ultimately proved that Andy didn't do it. By having, oh, yeah, I, you know, the guy who comes in and says, oh, I've got all the proof you need that Andy's innocent. And then they kill that guy. Mm. I can't remember what the character's name, but that was the only thing where it was like, well, this is overly neat now, you know, in terms of uh, maybe a, a hint of ambiguity over whether he actually did or not might have been a little bit more. Yeah, but uh, I think part of that is, you know, obviously there was a, 
a very good reason why the prison warden never wanted that guy to leave the prison. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I feel like I kind of, I think I knew this before going into the film and it didn't really occur to me till afterwards when I was watching the credits, but it's based on a Stephen King novella, isn't it? Mm, yes, it is, yeah. And it feels, when you take that, it feels very much like a typical Stephen King story in as much as most of his stories take or have a really slow build-up where he makes you quite comfortable with all of the characters before anything interesting happens. And that's in like even his horror stories. They're all, they're all like that. They're very, very slow for the first 60, 70% of the story. And then the interesting stuff happens at the end. Mm -hmm. He spends a lot of time world building and you're in this comfortable place and nothing's going to change. And then everything happens at once. The only thing I don't know about the Stephen King thing is how it ends. Cause I imagine everyone probably knows that the way that the film, the Shawshank Redemption ends wasn't initially how it was supposed to end. So it, I think it, the initial uh, previews of the film ended with the bus going off and uh, Morgan Freeman narrating, I'm looking forward to seeing my friend. And that's where the film initially ended. But right. um, producers and test audiences were like, no, we want to see them together. So they ended up filming that scene of them on the beach significantly later. Uh, but it wasn't initially part of the original uh, script to have them actually meet uh, at the end of the film, which is um, interesting, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the end of the book, and this is just me reading up on uh, Wikipedia, it stops with him preparing to go to Mexico, uh, actually, not, but you don't actually see them meet up. Right. Dan, um, any Shawshank um, um, memories or, or responses? Well, I think the only question to Dennis is, now that you've seen it, do you remember any kind of pop culture references to it? Uh, no, actually, I was going to ask you that. I don't feel like I came across any particular lines in there that, oh, look, you know, oh, that's where it comes from. Do you know what I mean? No, I didn't actually. Oh, okay. Did I, what, what, what's the, are there any obvious ones? What have I missed there? Um, I don't know about quotable lines, but definitely I think it's one of those, um, Simpsons was on a parody at some point. Yeah, Simpsons, mm-hmm. Family Guy. I think I think there's been quite a few kind of comedy shows that have have referenced it um, and yeah, kind of parodied it at, at some point. Which is why I was kind of thinking. I was surprised that that you that you'd missed that. Although I guess if if you weren't if you didn't know that they were referencing or parodying the, the Shawshank Redemption, then uh, I guess what, yeah. Well, there were a lot of parts of it, I suppose. Big, I mean, I'm not sure if it's derivative or other films are derivative of it. So, you know, because there's, I mean, I was going to say there's like three kinds of prison movies, isn't there? There's like, uh, there's the We're Going to Escape from Prison film and there's the uh, We're Just Going to Die in Prison film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then there's the uh you know when we're in here innocently but shouldn't be or something you know um, I think you've summed up prison life in, in the yeah <laughs> so any any pop culture reference that involves a prison could possibly be any prison film like i think probably if i saw pop culture references to prison movies i probably thought they were something to do with the green mile or something like that you know so uh or, or X number of other prison films. So um, there was oh, the other the other 
slight bit of disbelief that I had was actually uh, read Morgan Freeman's character finding that tree. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, that specific that seemed rock a little well. bit like because he, you know, did it because when he says it to him, right? He didn't write anything down. He's like, "Promise me, Red, you'll go to the blah blah blah, you know, up the road, and there's a tree at the end." And at that moment, I was trying to remember what he said. I'm like, "Damn, Red, you've got great memory. You must have." I mean, I, mean, I can only assume he said, came back to him later and said, "Can you just give me that again, please?" Note it down. Um, but he found it. So that was a bit like, there's a lot of, that's what I mean. It's a very tidy story. Does it like everything falls into place somewhat conveniently? Uh, but, uh, but Hey, why not? You know, it's suspension of disbelief, all that, all that. Teed, you a fan of Shawshank? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, obviously classic for a good reason. Great film. Good. And I think uh, like to your point about, you know, you, you wish things could, things could have been left a little bit ambiguous towards the end. Like, I, a lot of the time I do like that sort of stuff, but sometimes it's just nice to have a nice, tidy, happy oh, no, ending. No, no, not, not specifically and, for the end. Uh, no, no, sorry. I, I meant it in terms of whether Andy was innocent or not. Not no, so sorry, much. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, because yeah, the, the, no, end, I mean, the original even, making even, of the film was to keep it ambiguous whether they actually yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, sorry, no, that's the bit I was talking about. Right. Like, yeah, I, I think like you know, just yeah, let us know the guy was innocent all the time. You know, he, he you know, his his character is exonerated. It just, I mean, like I say, is yes, it is very neat and tidy, and you know, wraps up all the loose ends. But you know, I I don't have a problem with that from that from time to time. And I think, especially with this film as well, you know, it was uh, you know a you know, a roller coaster of emotions and, you know, you're glad to see him, you know, overcome the system and, and fight his way out and, and, you know, get his happy day in the sun and get to hang out with his mate. And, um, yeah, so I, I no, and, I, 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 I like and to be one. fair, it was the nineties and white people were always innocent in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> If if he'd been, if, if the roles had been reversed, he definitely would have been guilty, wouldn't he? Because that's the way films were made back then. In fact, he'd probably got the electric chair. Yeah, he wouldn't have made it. Yeah, he wouldn't have made it. He wouldn't have made it. That's why they had to cast Tim Robbins in the role. (laughs) (laughs) You can reveal that very factually. That's why it happened. Yeah. I've left you a clean edit there, Imran. (laughs) Not leaving it where it is. Um, okay, well, that's that's a good, that's a great review. I'm really happy. Um, I'm uh, to be honest, I'm it. happy that I saw it because okay. one of one of the other. I don't know if I mentioned this last week. One, there were several other films that I said that I had classics I hadn't seen. I deliberately left some off because I really didn't want to watch them. And one of them was Schindler's <laughs> List. <laughs> and I'm pretty certain if I'd put that on the list, you'd have chosen it. That's why I left it off. But uh, you know, quite, I, I even I'm not that cruel. Yeah. I wouldn't have picked it. To be honest, I would. I wouldn't have picked it. I, I'm 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 quite glad that I've that I watched it after all of this time, and that I went into it blind, and I didn't really know much about it. And it's like, yeah, it's good, it's worth it. So yeah, we're so picking a horse movie for you next time. Anything remotely connected to a horse, we're going to pick that movie. Okay. <laughs> the unsung horse genre, I love it. Um, yes, no, excellent. Well, excellent. No, I'm very happy you enjoyed it. Um, let's move on to. Daniel, 
Daniel J. Colicott, sir, your picks were The Producers, uh, Mulholland Drive, and Dr. Strangelove. Would you like to reveal what we so what we selected for you? So you selected Dr. Strangelove, which I was very happy about. Okay. Now, ob- objectively, if I may ask, how would you surmise the film uh, for someone who had never seen it, like yourself? <laughs> um. It's a pitch black Cold War, um, yeah, Cold War parody. So it, it's, I guess, I guess it's kind of like a very dark comedy, but it, it's so grounded in in feasibility and the reality and the ridiculousness of. Uh, nuclear warfare that it, it it's almost uncomfortable viewing but it, it it's it's very intense but in terms of uh yeah I, I guess i don't know is is there a cold war paranoia genre because that's pretty much what it is i don't know if there is he <laughs> left the pause. Like, oh, he wants an answer. I don't know. Yeah, uh, no idea. So am I I'm I would love to have seen this with you ultimately but i i didn't get around to it but i i believe Tej and dennis have both seen the film right i have not real? oh you haven't oh, that, right. was, that, dr strange love was, was on my list as well i've seen it but quite a a long uh quite a long time ago but i've seen it i think your uh endorsement dennis is what led me to pick it uh right. about it being a definitive classic and it's a definition of a classic film etc but, but, but then what what was your overall feeling i mean what's your rate out of 10 for instance well i mean like overall i really bought into the narrative because i was brought up on the very kind of tail end probably not the worst of the cold war but i do remember uh that there was a level of um kind of nuclear warfare or nuclear annihilation anxiety that kind of went throughout my household when, you know, I think, I think it was my mum pointed out because I couldn't really understand. I thought it was a, this was some kind of fight between the Americans and the Russians. But then my mum pointed out that one of the nuclear missile launch sites for America uh, was in Sheffield. So you kind of started to realize that, whatever went down between the Americans and and the Soviets, we would, by proxy, you know, we, we, would, we would essentially be taken down. So, yeah, there, there was always, at, at that time, this kind of realisation that, you know, to, in a civilised world and two of the biggest superpowers could actually press the red button and wipe each other out. And I think this film methodically deconstructs beat for beat what could um, and possibly even would happen if if the wrong person w- was able to unleash hell uh, via the way in this case of the um the american air force basically uh getting the go codes to um launch a nuclear bombing run on russia and it, it's very strange because, oh, sorry, no pun intended. It's very odd because the thing about it is, 
there's heavy elements of parody and comedy because there's at least four or five characters who are played by, you know, the the, the comic genius Peter Sellers. But even when even when you kind of delve into what is meant to be funny, what what there is to kind of, you know, look at this, you know, incredible deconstruction of human nature. It's so dark. It's so absurd that it, it's more uncomfortable than funny. It, you know, it, it's more uh, akin to um, Curb Your Enthusiasm or Ricky Gervais style comedy than it is a kind of straightforward um, comedy film. And it's quite hard to watch because I would, I would say 60, 70% of the film is, is like, is like watching, it's like watching reality as if this thing had happened. Nuclear war was, was, was seconds away. And, Seeing it with from from the point of view of the military, the the, the kind of president, um, you know, from from different angles and standpoints, and the people flying the planes, it it almost it, it if you didn't know anything about the film, if you didn't know that it was a comedy, if you didn't know you know who Peter Sellers was, and you just started watching it. 20 minutes in you could probably think you were literally watching a documentary or reconstruction it is that good but along the way there's there's pure genius moments from peter sellers which allow you to 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 be take yourself out of the the intensity of this ridiculous nuclear war situation um so his his characterizations, I think, are there to basically. It's very it's very Brechtian. It, it it basically slaps you around the face and says, "Look, remember you're watching a movie. This isn't real. It could be real, and it's ridiculously realistic. But remember, I'm here, and as absurd as this is, this isn't real. And I think that that's what." Really takes you out of the film, but it's quite it's quite jarring. When Doctor Strangelove is quite near the end, actually, he 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 he's basically uh, a former Nazi scientist. Which, uh, as I'm sure from a his, his historical point of view, all you all of you will know that um, the space race, uh, the Americans basically rehired uh, Nazi scientists to build you know, the space program essentially. So it's kind of a riff on that, but it's this guy in a wheelchair and he, and he has, um, I I don't know, like a false arm and he can't control his false arm and he's German and his arm keeps trying to, uh, throw up a salute, uh, a Nazi salute to Hitler and he can't stop it from doing it. And it's just, it's just one of the most in this intense kind of military drama where, where basically all all these um, bombers have been deployed and are on their way over Russia, and they're trying they're trying to they're trying to stop them. They're trying to recall them. They're trying to stop them from any of them from from dropping their payload. And then you've got this Nazi scientist called Doctor Strangelove, who talks in a very funny German accent, 
and <laughs> is constantly fighting the the need to say Heil Hitler. It's it's really weird. It's like whoa. Okay, so you know he 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 keeps calling the president of, of the United States, who is also played by Peter Sellers, completely seriously. He keeps calling him Mind Fuhrer, and there's just there's just elements like that 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 kind of punctuate this incredibly sort of serious plot, which is basically okay. We're all going to die. They they're going to trigger this uh, doomsday device and blow up. Well, basically make the world uninhabitable for a hundred years. So yeah, it, it's pretty incredible. Um, I don't think it. I don't know. It, it's not as enjoyable a film as I thought it would be. It's quite. It's quite repetitive. It's quite hard to watch. But there's enough in in it, and there's enough kind of all the acting and the portrayals and the directing and the way it's put together. And obviously it's weird that it's black and white because that was obviously a choice rather than doing it in color. Um, but yeah, it, it, there's obviously there's some incredibly iconic bits uh, in the film, such as when the, um, the guy um, driving the plane uh, he the missile launch bay breaks, and he ends basically ends up riding the nuclear bomb like it's a horse. Stay with me, Dennis. You're not, <laughs> not about horses, but he yeah he's, he's like a cowboy <laughs> with a hat going yeehaw, and it's just and that's one of the most uh, iconic things that I remember seeing, you know, from the film and on posters before I'd watched it. But um, yeah, I, I would give it a solid. I'd still give it a solid eight out of ten because I don't think, I don't think there's anything like it. There's anything even comparable to it that I've ever seen before. And the very fact that Peter Sellers, who's one of my favourite actors of all time, um, you know, is able to seamlessly play uh, four different characters. It might be five actually, but um, multiple characters. Um, Sometimes they're, they're they're on screen at the same time virtually, and you, you you wouldn't know, you know, you wouldn't know that that is him. I mean, uh, that that was one of his trademarks, there wasn't he? There's several films he's made where he's done that. Yes, um, and yeah, and, and the performance of other the only other modern day uh, comedic actors that have that already have done it or are any good at it would be either Mike Myers or Eddie Murphy, both of whom are quite good at doing the same. But they're definitely both, you know. Uh, they, they they pale in comparison to to uh, to Peter Sellers because he doesn't. They, you know, they both utilize you know prosthetics and all sorts of stuff, whereas he doesn't really. He's it's just like a false yeah. mustache <laughs> and a different outfit, and he's, yeah. and he's someone completely different. And the thing, the thing, um, the thing about it is, is he doesn't even need to try to be funny to bring the comedy to the surface, like his portrayal of the American president talking to the um, Russian, uh, well, to the Russian president is, it, it, it's, it's, it's remarkable because he, he's, he's not doing it for laughs, but you, you can tell from the dialogue and the script and the way he delivers it, that it, it, it's hard not to find it funny because he, he's, he's constantly, you know, He's just using the word, saying the, the, the Russian president's name over and over again. Like, 
Dimitri, this this would never happen. Why why do you think I I am upset? Also, Dimitri, no, of course I, I I would ring you to say hi. But you know, yes, I would ring you to say hi and just say hello. Well, we often just say hello. But this is something else. You know, he he just somehow makes it. He makes something as as um. I don't know. Very, very straight laced as a a conversation with the Russian the Russian president, just completely absurd and completely believable. Amazing! That's an incredible review. I mean, I've I don't really know what I I haven't seen it. As I say, um, I don't know what I expected. I, I definitely didn't expect that in terms of for you to have that kind of that level of you know discomfort, if you know as you described it, but. I don't know. I mean, I I I have to confess as well, as well as not having seen this film, I'm I'm not very well versed in Peter Sellers uh, either, and I you know obviously hear about his revered comedic status, etc. But um, uh, yeah, this is probably would be a good, I say a good starting point. Obviously, Inspector Cluzo is everyone's starting point, but mm. this is probably something that I um I should probably be uh, trying to make time for at some point as well. I, I think the character of Dr. Strangelove himself is meant to be Werner von Braun, isn't he? Or, or a derivative of, because it was Werner von Braun who came, who first was the rocket scientist for the Nazis, yeah. who then basically developed the basis for the NASA program. So yeah, I think he, it's he, was, sort of, he developed the V2 rocket, yeah. or at least was credited with it. And, and the, uh, the V2 rocket was pretty much the basis of, of uh, the American rocket that went into space. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I was kind of trying to work out when I was watching it um, from a timeline point of view, because obviously Cold War, well, I guess the space race was part of the Cold War, so it does. Absolutely. Yeah, it does tie in quite nicely to that. Um, but I think j- just to kind of finish uh, the kind of review and analysis of it, one of the things about it was, um, I don't, I don't want to go into too much detail because I don't want to spoil it for everyone, but I think it it manages to, to, to literally tie a knot and a bow with a cherry on top of the, the, the complete crass, ridiculous nature of, of the arms race. And, you know, at the time um, that it was made or, 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 or around when it was made, um, the notion that 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 two two countries would would basically blow up the world in, in what can only be described as a massive dick waving contest, and I think that it does such a subtle and amazing way of of proving that point uh, in film that yeah, it, it's really kind of special. I think yeah, there. I think just to sort of strengthen that point, Dan, it's like he was definitely using com- comedy to address the problems in the world and highlight yeah. them. And yeah. I don't know how much comedy does that anymore on the big screen. Um, you could definitely say that of of certain performers, like say Sasha Baron Cohen or whatever, but I don't, but even then, and you know, I think the last film that probably fit that sort of role is probably the interview where, you know, but, but but then that is definitely slapstick comedy as well. Um, yeah, I, I think you I think you're right. I think that there's a tendency with with Sasha Baron Cohen and um, Seth Seth, Seth Rogen. Rogen. 
yeah. Um, yeah, there's always a tendency to kind of veer into into fart and penis gags, which I think kind of undermines so much of the really, really clever and intelligent kind of satirical and parody uh, stuff that they do. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, Team America is another example of that. And most of South Park, actually. But then, yeah. like you say, it always becomes a little bit crude toilet humour at some point or another. Um, but uh, I don't know. I wonder if that's Hollywood doesn't have a taste for being that political with its comedy or we just don't have those kind of comedic writers and actors knocking about at the moment. The latter, I find that hard to believe. But I mm. could believe that it would very, be very hard for them to make their movies these days. Whereas true. Peter Sellers was at a point in his career where he could have just done anything he wanted. Uh, so, yeah. I think so. Yeah, he, he was he was kind of uh, Hollywood royalty by that point, I think. Yeah. Oh, I just, uh, sorry, I, I said that was going to be the last thing I said, but I have to mention that James Earl Jones was one of the pilots in the, 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 the aforementioned uh, bomber. So that was really kind of strange because I kept uh, for the first sort of 20 minutes I was like I know that I know that man who is that actor and I was like ah that's Darth Vader well I would imagine (laughs) he would be so young oh he's ridiculously young and I kept mistaking him for do you know the actor who's in uh, Running Man (laughs) oh right yeah 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 he looks um, I know know, know you I know exactly who you mean the guy who plays um uh, the lightning the one, the, the electricity guy. Uh, no, Fireball. No, no, the guy who... who oh, Fireball, he's... you're right. So it's a fire dude, isn't it? Not the lightning yeah. dude. No, not, not that guy. The guy who dies. The guy who says, don't let me be the only arsehole in heaven. Um, oh, oh, him. Yeah, because yeah. the guy that played Fireball was uh, Jim... Was it Jim Bell? I think. Uh, I forget the answer name. I don't I, remember the name of the other guy, though. I know who you mean, though. Yeah, he he was very big. He was all over the place uh, in 70s, 80s and 90s movies. Any action film, any sci-fi film, he was a very prolific uh, actor. And I think he... Was he a Bond villain? Huh? Was he a Bond villain as well? Oh, I don't know. Could be. Was he he in um, Live and Let Die? Was he the villain in Live and Let Die? I don't think he... Mr. Big. I don't think he had a starring role to that degree. I think he was always sort of mid-cast, if that makes sense, if that's a thing. Yeah, kind of uh, supporting cast. (laughs) But yeah, anyway, the the point was, um, to start off with, just because I I had no idea what, what James Earl Jones looked like at that age, you know, a young, aspiring actor. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Dan, but you're 100 percent right, T, uh, TJ. He was in *Live and Let Die*, but yes. he wasn't the main villain, was he? Yeah, uh, no, yes. he was the main villain. Yeah. Oh wow, nice. Yeah, okay. yeah, fair cut. Like his sort. name is. He yeah, was so Mr. anyway, B. He was I, Mr. Big. I thought it was him um, at first for the first 20 minutes, and I was like, "No, no, 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 that's that's James L. Jones." So yeah, but I thought that was pretty cool. TJ, as the only other person that hadn't seen the Doctor Strange Love as well, um, are you enticed to do so now? I mean, I, I have been anyway. It's it's been on my list of films to watch for for a long time now. So um, yeah, no, definitely, it's intriguing. 
really good review as well, Dan. That, um, it's piqued my interest even more, if anything. So, yeah, good stuff. Cool. Excellent. Okay, I'm going to jump in now and do my, my picks. Um, I'm literally going to go last. Wow. <laughs> you're literally you're reviewing, what is it? Oh, yeah. Not the greatest film. The, the, what is it? The greatest the, movie the, ever made. The greatest movie ever made. How could it not made? The worst review ever, ever done as well. Oh, no, no. Okay, <laughs> hang on, hang on. <laughs> so my three... <laughs> My three picks were They Live, Do the Right Thing, and Stir Crazy. They're the three movies that I had uh, yet to experience. And uh, you three picked all together. They Live. They, they Live. Not exactly all together, but it's okay. Um, uh, yes. They Live. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so, Imran, how did you find They Live? What are you, Roddy Piper's? Starring, I think it was his only starring role actually. Was he in anything else? I can't remember. I don't know. He, I, I would imagine he's done one or two other stuff. I can't think. I of think he's in other films, but I don't. I think that's the one that he. That's the only yeah. one he starred in. It's, it's yeah. probably yeah. the only one that was non-wrestling related. <laughs> um, uh, yes, I saw they live. Um, uh, I, I haven't quite figured out. Um, what I feel about it in a way. Um, okay. uh, ultimately, just a, as a one-line summation, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper plays a drifter who uh, stumbles onto a pair of sunglasses that allows him to see the uh, the ruling classes. Basically, are aliens, and they are manipulating everything that we um uh consume basically everything media wise and and such and such and he is on a mission to expose that to the rest of the world um on one hand i think it was really it's funny when you so this has came out in 88 so you really have to put yourself in like what was happening in 88 like what films were out and what kind of messages were sci-fi and horror kind of putting out there? And I really think that there was so much of this that was kind of really ahead of its time, that kind of take on consumerism and uh, the impact it has on subsequent impact it has on society and how people digest information and content they receive. I thought that that was a really kind of inspired take on it. That's the mission. It's not necessarily to blow up the world or conquer it. It's to kind of impact people uh, in, in how we consume media and information and how that, you know, we are dictated to in that kind of way. And I thought that was really like inspired. Um, I, I thought though, it, it took a long time to kind of get, there like it's only an hour and a half but it feels like nothing really happens in the first kind of hour um it's a very sort of slow like methodical film where uh, where he's very where piper is basically very very slowly discovering things that kind of are happening around him and uh, i think i probably thought a few more things would kind of happen it was just sort of like wow it's you kind of the words sci-fi and horror don't really hit you until the last third of the movie, if you know what I mean, because it's, yeah, it's, everything is very, very slow and kind of its pace. But other than that, uh, yeah, I, 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 I liked it. I, I ultimately the, the, the problem, the hurdle I think we all face uh, in these films is we're going in with a certain level of expectation and I probably expected a little bit more. Uh, having said that, I, from what I, <laughs> from what I had seen of it, or from what I, I thought it was more, 
I thought it was um, going to be a B-style okay. horror movie, if that right, makes right, sense. Does that I make was, sense? I was going to say, because it's like, yeah, you were expecting more from a Roddy, Roddy Piper. <laughs> well, like John um, Carpenter movie. John Carpenter <laughs> 1988 movie. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I... In, it's hard to know what that even what that phrase means. Like I expected more because in a way I got way more uh, in terms of I again I go back to that kind of the message of the aliens and what what their intention was. I really thought it was kind of an inspired take, particularly for 1988. Um, but I like I almost expected more, um, more shootouts. I guess more crazy aliens and stuff like that. I just thought it was going to be more like that kind of thing, and it wasn't. It was like oh okay, this isn't necessarily what i expected but yeah I, I i did enjoy it um i i did enjoy it and then of course there's that 30 minute fight scene as well which <laughs> doesn't provide it it i thought it would make a bit more sense in the context of the film it makes no sense in the context no. of the movie <laughs> no, it's, it's not about it's about the fight scene itself it's not about what but why just it makes yeah. but why not yeah. just have him fight an alien for that long like it just made no sense that he would be fighting ultimately his buddy. Over it's just a great fight. <laughs> it's a great it's fight. A it is, fight. and I did watch the South Park parody that you mentioned. Yeah, the freaking well. as well, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the kind of the the humping knees to the to the crotch that they replicated in, in uh, the South Park one was was a nice touch. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I. It, it is it is a thumbs up. Like, it's a weird thing. With, with I guess it would be good to watch the film again because, as I say, in some ways I expected more, but in some ways I expected I was surprised with what I got at the same time as well. But you, I mean, you three you picked this universally. Like you were all, this is the film you absolutely have to watch. So I mean, what does it mean to each of you guys? I, I think I'm, I'm gonna let me jump in because it's it's the '80s, and in the context of the '80s, uh, '84, I was sort of old enough to sort of start seeing films for more than just the action in them. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think I probably saw it around 87, 88 on video, to be fair. I wouldn't have seen it in cinema at the age of 14. Um, and I think it is very clever. It, like, it was a different take, just a whole mechanic behind what's going on in the film. You know, you, you know the, the subliminal messages, which you can only, you can't see. I and mean, then you put these glasses on and you can see them mm-hmm. and what's going on around you. I've just not seen that in a movie before or in mm-hmm. a story before. And it was just different. And I think that's what made it so stand out for me, regardless of whether the acting itself or anything like that, or whether that long 30-minute fight scene, as you describe <laughs> it, has anything to do with the main plot. It was just, a, uh, you know, it was just different. Um, and that's one of the things that makes it so mem- memorable. I mean, it's the fight scene that makes it really memorable. <laughs> but uh, the idea of, um, I mean, in the context of the 80s, if you look at it through a lens of, visually in terms of design and stuff there was very much that whole you know big white backgrounds with big black letters uh frankie says uh relax and you know that whole right. visual iconography thing going on at the exact same time um and it was sort of around a time where media and advertising had sort of launched into this sort of new method of 
convincing people to buy stuff and because uh, the film really is about consumerism isn't it like yeah. um, but was is it, but for the 80s was was it even a period where people even called out that type of approach from big business no that's no. that i yeah. think that's why that's what made it so remarkable it was the first glimpse of that like somebody else was obviously looking at it and it was sort of opening the doors to like hey what is actually going on here we're being mm. we're being controlled by what we see and you know we're 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 being yeah manipulated, and I think that's what made it at the time so revolutionary and and, and you know a really good film and and yeah. on you know on with the uh background of of crazy sci fi stuff going on so that that's anyway that that that's for me that's why i uh, yeah no i mean well those are that, that was absolutely what would raise you know in terms of uh an overall grade, so to speak. I mean, it, it's it's that that overall kind of message from that uh, that observation is is really what kind of really upped the the standard of the film for me. That and Meg Foster's eyes. What's going on there? Those mindless stares into uh, <laughs> into Roddy Piper staring away. Oh, are you okay? It's like, what's going on? Are you okay? <laughs> she was crazy, but. <laughs> But yeah, I liked it. Dan, Dennis, uh, Dan Teach, what did you guys think? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a John Carpenter fan anyway. I love, I love his style. I love pretty much every film he's, he's, uh, most, most films he's done. Um, I would put up there as some of my favorite films of all time. But yeah, I think this is why I hate going after Dennis because he always says stuff that I want to say. Um, but, but, um, no, so, you know, similar sort of thing that, you know, the whole thing of calling out consumerism, the, you know, and also kind of Roddy Piper's performance throughout the film, I think is, you know, is the kind of everyman, um, regular Joe guy that gets thrust into um, a situation and he has to, you know, man up and, you know, save the day or, you know, whatever it is. Like, you know, I think, I think his performance there was, uh, was really good for you know for a guy that's I mean I guess pro wrestling, pro wrestling is acting anyway but yeah you know I thought his performance was was uh, really good and yeah just I, you know the whole premise of the film I thought was uh, very clever really well executed I mean I get what you what you're saying about it being quite slow to get going but. Yeah, I mean, when it does kick off, it really does kind of kick mm. off. So, actually, can um, I, about the Meg Foster character, was she an alien? I no. don't believe she was. No, 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 she wasn't. No, she wasn't. She wasn't because right? obviously he yeah. he has to look at her with the glasses, doesn't he? And he hasn't yeah. produced her as that. But, was, he, but yeah, she, he was, it, yeah, but she's completely on side with what they're doing. Yeah, she drank Kool Aid, I guess. Yeah. Weird. Some people do. But uh, but from a horror perspective, do you not think that the alien character design is pretty impressive? I mean, this is before Mars Attacks came out. Um, mm. Although, having said that, the comic was probably in existence then. But, yeah, I, I thought... I, I agree with you, Imran, that it... it the way it, it it is like a B movie. There's no there's no doubt about it. I mean, Roddy Piper is a B movie actor. Yeah, for it's sure. It's not, you know, it, it's not a high budget film. It, it's not. It's, pretend, not, it's not trying to be either. I think. No, it's, no. I don't, it's definitely in that John Carpenter kind of 
style and yeah, but yeah, 100% B movie territory. And it and it really doesn't matter because the concept it's such a high concept film and I don't think yeah, I think as we've probably kind of trodden over this already there was just nothing like it at that time um and the kind of you know that that joyful joy joyful deconstruction of capitalism um because if if you kind of think about it i think it must have been dennis i'm hoping you can come up with a fact on this but it, it was somewhere around that time maybe before then when subliminal advertising was outlawed in america and, and i think i think that's about right at, at the time um what if you remember um max headroom one of the yeah. things on max headroom was blipverts wasn't it where you'd have like in in the space of like <laughs> one second a minute's worth of advertising yeah, or something. yeah yeah and not that long after that was which was the two british comedy shows i always get them confused the day-to-day or the other one um uh, where they did a thing about something similar. It, I, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So yeah, around that time, I think that's when that was sort of becoming um, that was sort of becoming prominent. Subliminal advertising, and you know, f- it, it insert three frames to try and sort of impress something on people's brains, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because it was all it's all, it's kind of interesting because it kind of goes back to. Cold War interrogation methods. It goes back to Second World propaganda, Second World War propaganda. Sorry. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of. I always find it interesting how much we sort of tolerate as a society, and how much we kind of realise that we're being controlled and kind of primed with what we buy, what we eat, what we wear, and this really just puts a, you know, a massive exclamation mark on that. And I think if you were to, you know, remake this film, uh, but kind of twist it to the point of view of like social media or fake news, then you'd have Black Mirror. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I mean, the thing it, it, it's so far ahead of its time. It, yeah. It's like it's like a Black Mirror episode that that Charlie Brooker probably got his a lot of his inspiration from this film. Um, but you know, I do agree with you. It, it, it's it's not end to end the best action action sci fi film you'll ever see. It's more that the you know the concept that underpins everything that happens is just so good. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. What's your overall marks out of ten for this movie? Um, that I, I as yeah as we've as we've all highlighted that that. And as Dan eloquently put just then, the overall concept that underpins the film, it, it, it puts it all the way over for me. So, like, any sort of nagging points I would have had, I, you know, are expelled with that one. But it's a good seven, I would say. I, I do think it was really ahead of its time, and I thought it was a, kind of an interesting take that it's probably the only alien movie that I can think of where they have literally, in inverted commas, invaded our planet, but are not trying to conquer kill or destroy us but they are invading so uh i thought it was a, a a really inspired kind of take and perception to have so yeah and that there's that fight scene of course <laughs> greatest fight scene of all time and now and now here we go speaking of the greatest of all time 
Oh my gosh. Oh. TJ Sutherland. Um, you were, tar- well, you presented, the three movies that you presented were The Big Lebowski, uh, mm-hmm. Tequila Sunrise, <laughs> of prominent importance to one of the members of the team, and Citizen Kane. And uh, we decided you should watch dun, Citizen, dun, dun. Citizen Kane. Um, After you shout all over the big Lebowski, by the way. We We were quite brutal (laughs) to it. I was very surprised that the overall consensus of Lebowski was as bad. I thought Lebowski was gonna I thought Lebowski was gonna, you know, run away with it, but I uh, thought it wasn't the it wasn't the most shitting we did on the title. I think we uh, shout on a few others even more than that. So Yeah, possibly. But I think that was the one that surprised me the most. I, I thought that would be one that would have been popular amongst this group. Apparently not. You all hate it. Well, I think that that's <laughs> slightly extreme, but anyway. But um, I did have to say, I really enjoyed the sequel to Tequila Sunrise, which oh was God. Tequila Mockingbird. <laughs> There's a bar called Tequila Mockingbird in Tooting, not too far from my house. Is there really? And, and one yeah, in Brixton so, now as well. Oh, wow. Well, no, it, okay. it must be a chain then, yeah. yeah. There you go. Completely devaluing some free, some free advertising for Tequila Mockingbird. Well, the Mockingbird would have been a prequel, surely, <laughs> wouldn't it? Like, yeah, uh, well, yeah. Anyway, anyway, yeah. anyway. So, what did you think of Tequila Mockingbird? No, Citizen Kane. For anyone who has never seen the film, how would you summarize the plot uh, of the movie objectively? Um, it is a sort of biographical movie about um uh about charles what's his middle name again charles foster, foster charles foster kane um uh he's played by um awesome the legendary awesome wells and it it starts off actually it's supposed to be a short description isn't it it's basically a narration no, it's of, uh, yeah so it's a narration of his life from uh when he's a child to uh, when he dies but it's Bookended by um, uh, at the start, the character dies, and there's a reporter looking to um, find out more about the character. As the character is a bit of an enigma and a bit of a uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Kind of uh, I don't know, larger than life character, but also no one really knows what he's like. So, yeah, the film follows um, a reporter who is interviewing people from his life and um yeah uh it's it's a movie (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh Um, where where is okay expand so um okay that 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 was that sounded harsh i um i really enjoyed it um i i think i actually enjoyed it more than i thought i was going to enjoy it i i i didn't I went in not quite knowing what to expect. Um I do for the record I do like me an old, you know, old timey black and white movie, those old old RKO, you know, type stuff, um the classics, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I do enjoy those movies. Um but I went into this quite cold. I didn't really know what the story was about. I didn't really understand why the movie was called the great dubbed the greatest movie ever made and all that kind of stuff so um but i have to say i i i did get engrossed into it 
quite early on. Um, uh, you know, obviously the movie starts off uh, with the character di- with the main character dying, and then um, it then shifts to uh, some reporters who are reporting on the story of this guy's uh, death. Um, Charles Foster Kane is um, he's a owner of. Uh, newspaper outlet and he's um, one of the richest men in America and um, basically I think his character apparently was loosely based on um, some other media Howard more, Hughes yes yeah I think other huge I think it's supposed to be a, a few different people like yeah, with Randolph Hearst and yeah. uh, Joseph Pulitzer, so yeah. No, sorry, yeah. sorry, yeah, you're right, actually. It's not, yeah. not Howard Hughes. But, I mean, there are several similar yes. tycoons, yes. aren't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, but the key the, the, the key thing is, as uh, at the start of the movie, as the character dies, um, you hear in his final word is the word Rosebud. So um, cut to reporters trying to report on the story of this guy's death. And... Um, you know, the, the lead reporter's like, oh, we need to find out more about him, what made him tick, what he was all about, and why, you know, why would a man like this say this random word, Rosebud? So uh, we follow, I think his name's Tommy, is uh, the reporter, and he interviews um, Kane's uh, second wife. He interviews his business partner, I think it is, um, and a couple of other key people in his life. So the movie kind of jumps around uh, into certain parts of um, Kane's life from when he was a kid and how he went from uh, a poor family. And I think it was his, his mum signed him to go to signed him away to go and stay with um, this guy. It's all a bit fuzzy because I drank too much watching England last night. So I apologize for my <laughs> rather shady review, but anyway, um, he came in somebody and um, he, uh, eventually ends up, you know, buying, I think it was the New York Inquirer or something like that. And it's, uh, um, makes a lot of money that way. But yeah, so the, the story kind of jumps around quite a lot from in various parts of his life. And I, I, I think that, I think the reason why it's, it was dubbed or it has been dubbed the greatest movie ever made it because it seems to me that it's, it has a, grandeur about it the way you know things are shot and the way things are framed and you know considering the film was made in 1941 I imagine a lot of the techniques that they used at the time were quite groundbreaking for you know of that sort of era and it it has the whole film has a real presence about it that I think you know maybe a lot of films at that time I mean I I don't know how much it it cost them to make but um, it feels like a very grand movie and and the, the way that the story is told jumping around different sections of his life and you know the chronology chronology is kind of a bit all over the shop is um i think it's something that was quite unique at the time as well so um but yeah i you know i'm, I'm uh, should i bother to do spoilers for the whole rosebud thing or i guess I, yeah. well anyone not seen it that would prefer yeah. not to know you got. You've all seen it, right? I have. Dan, Dennis, I've I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. Oh, oh okay, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. So yeah, so the whole thing behind Rosebud. So basically, you, you jump around different parts of his life, 
And then the whole thing of Rosebud is, it's, I think it was quite, was I disappointed? I think, I think it was quite clever. I thought it was quite, quite clever in that it was, Rosebud was the name. So there's a scene right at the very, very beginning of the film where, like I say, his mum, he was born to poor parents, I I believe they were. And his mum signed um, him to go and, Go go and live with um, this guy Thatcher uh, in exchange for a trust fund for him or something like that. I think it was. I think Anyone so. And they right? they yeah. they're paid a certain amount every year as well as the parents yeah. that basically sell him. Something yeah, something along those lines. And um, so yeah, and in that scene, and th- th- this scene is the point that obviously changed his entire life because he would obviously grown up in poverty if that hadn't happened. But in this scene, he's outside playing on a sled. And um, as he's told by his mum that he's going to have to go away with this man, Thatcher, um, he takes a sled and he throws it, at the, throws it at the man and then fade away and then move on to another scene. But the sl- on the sled itself, um, the, the sled, I think the manufacturer of the sled is a company called Rosebud. And so that's why I guess the key thing there, from what my interpretation was, that at that point when he was dying, he reflected on the thing that changed his life to take it to where it was. And Rosebud is the is the significance there. I thought it was quite clever because it seemed, seemed like quite an inconsequential thing at the time. But then you think back and you look at the significance of it and I thought, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. Um but yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I would say I would probably give it a eight out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you, there, Sid the Snake. <laughs> um, you're you're absolutely right about. I think part of it's title of being you know the best whatever it is uh, of all time is really a lot down to what they were able to do technically uh as well there's a, a shot quite early on where there is like a a, a lit sign um where a, the camera basically is on the top of a building and the camera literally goes right through the middle of the mm. sign and then pop sort of peers down over into a skylight and that was deemed an impossible shot that was mm. deemed something that they they couldn't have done, and and you know they pulled it off. Yeah, yeah. And yeah there, I mean, there was a series of those things apparently throughout the film where technically they should yeah. have been able to achieve certain things. But he but, comes up, know. the camera comes up through the floorboards, for instance. At some yes, point, that's right. Yeah, it? yeah, a great one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think as well, not just and obviously from a technical standpoint, it, you know they they were doing things, but also the performances throughout the film, I think, were bloody outstanding. Like obviously, Orson Welles. You know, well, he was only about twenty-five years old. Yeah, yeah super young as well. Yeah, doesn't really and, get his credit as a, as the leading man in general. But what an actor! Yeah. Like, what an incredible yeah. performance that he, he so, has in that film. I mean, and, and like the, it, the, the the sorry, I was just going to say that the um, you know, the other side characters, like the the both of his wives, actually. Um, you know, I, I there's a, there's a great scene where with his first wife, because his first wife, uh, did she? Yeah, she dies. Um, oh no, she or did she leave him? I can't remember. Both, I but, think. Um, I think she left him yeah, and then she dies. Left in the car him crash, she yeah. Dies, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was it. But there's the, there's this great scene where um, when he first gets married to her, 
they're having breakfast in like in the conservatory or something and it and they show them being all lovey-dovey and like oh you know um he's saying oh i have to go to a newspaper and she and she's like oh you're always there all the time and he's like oh, okay maybe i'll i'll phone in late or i'll i'll let them know i'll be in late and it's all really lovey lovey-dovey and then they show the progression as the years go on and the, t- the deterioration of the relationship and the shift in the conversations between them as time goes on and they start to get more irritated with each other i thought i thought that was like you know really cool but um but yeah, no, it's um, yeah, I I I really did enjoy it. Actually, enjoyed it more. Than I mean, it, it is generally considered his second greatest performance of all time, isn't it? I know exactly oh, what you're going to say. I know exactly oh, what you're going to say. And, oh, Come on, you know, you know, we all know what his greatest, his greatest performance it. of all time say has it. to be, which was re- released posthumously. Uh, yeah, Unicron. <laughs> yeah, of course. In Transformers, the movie. Very good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but more more seriously, at a time, it was it came you know it it was a hit immediately. Although it didn't do that well financially initially, one of the things that makes it a great movie or is considered to be important to the movie industry is the fact that it came out originally in America, but because of the timing of the film, it didn't really hit Europe till quite a few years later. Um, oh, right, and then yeah. as it started, well, so it, it, really well, wasn't it? yeah, and it was in, yeah, it yeah. was in release around Europe for like a good six or seven years. And the European response to it was also quite uh, positive, but for different reasons, because mm-hmm. for instance, you know, it would have been subtitled or dubbed into other languages. So the performance wasn't necessarily all that was being. So when the Europeans saw it, it's particularly in France, I think, mm-hmm. and they critiqued it and reviewed it, they basically talked about other things that that the film you know did, uh, glitterati in, in in america hadn't really focused on so every time it sort of hit a new territory it had this new layer of oh my god and there's also this and there's also this wow. so that's and i think it was one of the first movies that had that sort of different layering of brilliance um that appealed to different cultures different audiences but it Rather was than a, just its original intended, you know, biography or parody of the life of of, of William Randolph, is it William Randolph Hearst? Is his mm, name? Yeah, yeah. For example, but um, it was also um, directed by Orson Welles. Yes, yeah. although yes. apparently, there's, I think there's a bit of a controversy over who actually wrote it. Ah. Well, it's funny. There's having since we spoke about it last week about the film. I saw that on Netflix, which I'd really like to watch. Is a film called I think Mank. Which is, yeah. mm. uh, I don't know how accurate it is as a movie, mm. but a Gary, Gary Oldman, Oldman movie, yeah, where it's about um, Hen- Herman Mankiewicz, Herman J. Mm-hmm. Mankiewicz, um, and it's about the writing of Citizen Kane uh, yeah. as well. So I don't know how accurate the film would be, but I'd, I'd love to watch that. So I, I actually didn't know that there was much, um, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, contention over overwriting at all i don't know i don't know if it's a lot of contention overwriting because ultimately the film was sold on the performance and the presence of orson wells but i think in in as much he got probably got credit for everything do you know what i mean which probably which i think was want to happen in those times where you know and audiences could believe that 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 uh, a work of genius could be the work of one person whereas Mm. you know now because of the complexities of movie making and stuff, we we all know that you know if a, yeah, if a film comes out, whether it's good or bad, it can't just be down to one person. Mm. Um, 
Except if that person is Zack Snyder. Well, he gets his name into the credits as many times as possible, doesn't he? So, but it, part of that was probably down for Wells. That it was probably a lot of that was down to his just general obsessive nature with when it came to his creative projects, though. Mm. So, I mean, he was always the forefront. He was always the person, and whether or not he was an actual named producer, he was always the one that was doing everything he could to secure money for his projects. Mm. as well so i can understand why he got labeled that on on the back of all of this that we've talked about i'm curious to know i think we've all given the movies we chose an eight out of ten in runs was a seven i was a seven wasn't i and i think that's fair actually because it is a b movie but what does it take for a movie to have a 10 out of 10 Mm. In, in what context? In terms just, of just, looking you know, back what at films, film or... looking back at films, or what films would? I, and I'm not even saying we necessarily have to agree on this. It would be interesting yeah. to find out if there was a movie that we all universally thought was a ten out of ten, apart from Avengers, obviously. Um, what, what, <laughs> what, what movies can you think of are a ten out of ten? I, I think for me, a ten out of ten would be a movie that I can that I love dearly uh that i could watch repeatedly and not get tired of i think that, yeah. that that's that's a key one mm. for me um I and, agree with that. And, 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 and i don't know that um you know and it might be a case of it's not it might i i think a 10 out of 10 film would have to be a very personal film because i don't think it would necessarily it might not be a popular opinion but you know for me that's a 10 out of 10 film because i know i can watch that again and again and again and never get tired of it well, right. Can I jump on that, Tej? Because that's because one of the really interesting things about that and what ties into what this project is about is that we're watching films very much out of time. And mm. a part of what makes a great film is its longevity and its, mm. a, a, and its ability to 20, 30, in your case, 50, 60 years later with Citizen Kane, um, and its ability to still come off as fresh. So how many of the films that Wait, you would 60? say are... A, uh, with 1940s wasn't it 1945 yeah. I think 60, so oh gosh right. 80s then yeah. 80 odd years so but h- how many of the films that you were using what you just said Teach, for example yeah. like how many 10 out of 10 films could you think of that you didn't initially see around the time of its release if you know what I mean when but, I say yeah, that I think, yeah that's, that's, that's a very good point because um, I was trying to think Pos- um, for me so one of my favourite films of all time and fits the category of films I could watch over and over and over again uh, would probably be, and this is going to be really corny, Big Trouble in Little China. But that's... Do you know what? I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that's really personal to me because that, that's, that's a film that, and I didn't watch it because like, it, it came out in 86, I think. So I was like 10. Um I think I probably saw it on like VHS, like my early teens. But that is a film that I could watch a million times over, and I've I've never got tired of it. And even like, even a Star Wars, I don't know that I could watch. Well, maybe Empire, I'll watch again. No, well, I'm not even sure about that. So yeah, I mean, and I watched that. I watched them, um, Big Trouble in Little China, not at the time when it came out. But mm. I guess maybe, yeah, it wasn't It wasn't too long after it came out, I guess. But, yeah, yeah, but I, mean, I, I think, sorry, to take in man's point a little bit more literal, 
um, there's there's points in the the genesis of cinema, the genesis of us as as people, and and our experience of film and how we grew up and how film kind of mirrored our lifetime. Whereas I think what Imran's saying is taking taking a film that you've never seen before that was made 50 years in the past or 20 years in the past, 30 years in the past, kind of something quite significantly out of time, not not just like five years or six years or seven years. Yeah, 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 that's no, it, man. But I, I get, you know, I mean, Big Trouble in Little China is, is an epic pick. But, yeah, I think it, it, it's trying to kind of um, draw out any 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 kind of significant outliers of how how you kind of experience an actor or director from 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 the first for the first time and then you, your kind of experience and i think you know looking back i remember i remember seeing metropolis in 1984 and i guess they were yeah i mean that that they're so far removed from here and now and how cinema is currently that it, it was quite interesting. Not, not necessarily I'm not saying that, that, you know, they're, they're amazing, but I guess if you kind of go back to sort of the origins of films, um, yeah, it, it, it's more interesting to see, you know, can, can we, can you almost go back to the building blocks where it all started and and appreciate that as much as we do when you're watching uh you know a 200 billion pound sorry million pound blockbuster that's got all the special effects that's got 4 billion people working on it hmm. which is quite tricky yeah i think Thinking about that, what you said about what what makes something ten out of ten. So, if I think of all the movies that I've seen in the cinema, um, and I came away from those films thinking, "Oh my god, that was amazing! I was so good," you know, and you talk about it for for ages afterwards with your friends and stuff and whatever. And then, how many of those, if I saw them a year, five years, or ten years later, I would still feel the same about? That's the bit that makes it a ten, I guess. Is what yeah. is, you know. And I, I never really thought of it that way because it's definitely films which I felt very excited about coming out of the movies at the time. And then you look back at them five or ten years later and you're like, oh, that wasn't actually that great. Um, you were just caught MCU up films. in the moment. Yeah, I did, that with a lot of the, I did that with a lot of the MCU films where like, I was super hyped for them coming out, super hyped when I go, went to go and see them in the cinema, super hyped coming out and going, oh, yeah, I really enjoyed that, really enjoyed that. But then I didn't. I've, like it's only recently I've gone back and actually watched all of them again. So and 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 enjoyed them, but probably not as hyped as I was the first time around. Because, because they're one viewing only, really. Yeah. You know, or two viewings exactly. only, and then that's it. You, there's not much yeah. more to see. I, I mean, I can I can yeah. think of quite a few films though that I felt that way when I came out of the movies, and I still really really enjoy those films. I watch them now. Two that spring to mind. You already said Big Trouble in Little China, which I did see in the cinema at the time because I'm ancient. But oh, nice. two that two others that spring to mind would be um, the Naked Gun, not the Naked <laughs> Gun, <laughs> the Naked Gun uh, Airplane, the movie, wow. which I didn't see yeah. in the cinema at the time. But that that that's and, uh, Back to the Future, 
yeah. is another one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, South Park, yeah. the original South Park movie, uh, Bigger, Longer, yeah. Uncut. I can still watch that now and get every ounce of enjoyment out of that film. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not, that, but there are other ones. As well. There are other ones which I definitely felt that way after seeing the first Avengers movie. And I still enjoy watching it now, but I probably wouldn't give it a 10 out of 10. Maybe I'd give it a nine. Mm. Back to the Future is no. a really great pick because I'd be, because I, I guess a lot of us watched that obviously in the 80s, close enough upon release. I remember seeing that in the cinema. But mm. I, that's a film, if I watched 20, 30 years later for the first time, I don't know if I'd have that same affection for it. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I, 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 I think it's a, you know, it's a classic. I adore it as a number two as well. But again, I don't but know what I, how I would you, feel about you, it. You do have the opportunity of testing it on your children. Um, yes. <laughs> you no, 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 so I'm thinking of all the different movies that we had in, that we've tried to get them to watch. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, that, that's a great point. But, you know, if I would judge everything on the things that Anne likes, then I'd be watching uh, slime and squishy stuff on YouTube and thinking it's classic. So <laughs> I think with back, back to the Future for me, like, because it's, it's on TV periodically every so often. And it's, it is one of those movies where, if I see it, if I see it's on and it's like kind of near the beginning, I'll go, I'll, I'll sit down and watch it. Yeah. And I, and right. I, and I, and I would, I would enjoy it. I won't necessarily seek it out. Whereas Big Trouble in Little China, I'll go, I want to watch Big Trouble in Little China today. I don't know why, but I just want to watch it today and I'll sit down and watch it. But Back to the Future is one that I will, I'll, I'll sit, I'll make time to watch it. If, if I catch mm. it on, I'll be like, yeah, I'll sit down and watch it. And I'll enjoy yeah. it just as much as I, as I did the first time around. Right, yeah. Is it coincidental that a lot of the movies we're referring to as being ones that we can watch repeatedly are more leaning towards comedy? <laughs> well, yeah. actually, I was going to say, m- most of the ones that I would kind of hark back to um, um, and kind of quite happily, w- I've probably watched them all to death too many times, are a lot of the, the kind of v- really hyper-violent bad future movies like Robocop 1 and 2, Running Man, Total Recall, Terminator, Terminator Two. I don't mm. know. I, I kind of. I, I'd, I'd agree on the Running Man for sure. I love that film. Yeah, oh, it's great just film. brilliant. Um, yeah, but but like, I mean, I think I've I'm officially I've watched Terminator Two too many times. But um, yeah, I mean that was one of I, I, seeing that at the cinema and seeing the special effects. Um, mm. It just blew me away. But at the same time. So did Jurassic Park um, at the time, but I don't know when when that comes on the TV now. I cringe because uh, the, the, I don't know it, it. It's I don't know Sam Neill and the kids. It's it's very. <laughs> it, it's definitely not as good as it was when you Although, were enjoying. Visually, it. in terms of visual effects, it stands up quite well. I mean, yes. you can definitely yeah, see yeah. The, see the man behind the curtain, but it definitely stands up a lot better than a few other things that came out around the same time because it was so well done at the time. It's, it's, it's really held up there. I just want to check uh, on, the t- on, on the subject of classics that everybody has or hasn't seen. Has everybody here seen The Princess Bride? Hell yeah. I haven't. Actually, no. actually you that's what? another that's what? An- You yeah. haven't? Well, that was one of the ones that we covered on um, our yeah. second t- go-around. Dan, that was on Dan's pick, and we got Dan to watch it. Oh, yeah, okay. I watched it. That actually, um, Princess Bride is another one that I could watch. I could watch that film repeatedly. I don't know if uh, would I give it a ten? 
I, I would give it. That's on my Ooh, list of top yeah, 10 films. I'd yeah, give it a 10. I think I, think I probably would. I, I, going, by my, by, going by my earlier criteria, that is a film I could watch repeatedly. I'd give it a 10. And it's it just makes, got yeah, too many. It's not, yeah. it's just got too many different brilliant bits in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I agree. You know, and some great performances. So yeah. some unexpectedly good performances, I think, yeah. in there. So I take it then, Dan, that you didn't think it was a good film. No, no, I did. Oh, uh, I wouldn't. Okay. I wouldn't give it a ten. I think if I if I'd watched it as a kid, I would have given it a ten because I, I would have probably given the Never Ending Story a, a ten when I was a kid. Um, but on reflection, I don't think if I watched Never Ending Story one, two, or three, I would probably get the same warm and fuzzy nostalgia that I did when I watched them. So I think similar with. Um, Princess Bride, but I thought it was great. I think I can't remember what I gave it, but it was probably about seven. That's interesting because I wouldn't put those two films in the same sort of target audience category because the, the Princess Bride is is a lot more grown up than the the Never Ending Story. No, true. I'm just trying to think of another example. Um, Goonies, kind of fantasy type. But the Goonies is rubbish, though, isn't it? What? Ooh. Ooh. Oof. Oh. I don't think I've ever heard that sentence. So I, oh, right, interesting. So here we go. So I had never, so this, the Goonies was a classic that I'd never seen until about three years ago. And uh, I don't know why. I, ju- I don't know why I hadn't seen it. And I tell you, if you watch that, taken. <laughs> if you watch that for the first time as an adult in 2017, you're like, what the hell do people see in this precisely, film? This is precisely my point. That's yeah, the, yeah that's, is, that's what yeah. makes it. I can imagine if I if I had seen if I'd seen it in the eighties, I probably would have just like everybody else thought it was yeah. amazing. But yeah. you watch it like late many years later with an adult head, and you're like, "This is this yeah. is rubbish." And that's that's one hundred percent Imran's point, isn't it? It's there. There are certain films. I mean, are there any? Oh, no, not not are there any time songs, but there are certain films that if you watch them at that time. They strike a chord with you and stay with you. Yeah, and you know, and that's you know, that's why they become timeless films that you can watch again and again and again. I mean, I couldn't watch Goonies again and again and again, but I do love it. I don't think it's an amazing movie, but it's fun and I enjoy it. I watched it when I was a kid, and you know, I had I had dreams of being one of those kids, and you know, I thought it was it was it was cool, but yeah. I enjoyed uh, the Police Academy films as a kid. I think I went to see at least two in the cinema. But, <laughs> Me too. But God, if if you watch them now, so apart bad. from apart from Mr. Z, like anything with Mr. Any scenes with Mr. Z in it are just absolute <laughs> oh, he was, gold. He, he was he yeah he was the dirt worst. <laughs> <laughs> he was the drizzling shits. I'm sorry. I, I he, he really brought that whole franchise down for me, and that's saying something. What? Well, hang on, hang, hang on a minute. I think you just said the Mr. opposite of Dan. Oh no! What? Mister Z brought it down. <laughs> he was the best thing. Ooh, don't that one. I'm very upset. Wow. <laughs> do you not? Do you not like him then? <laughs> Me? No, no. It's TJ. Sorry, TJ. Yeah. Some some serious shade being thrown around at the end of this uh, this here podcast. Because he's uh, one of, I mean, comedically, I'm, I, I'm inclined to agree with Dan. Comedically, I just love that guy. But he, if you ever see him do stand-up, I mean, he basically just played himself. 
didn't he? Because <laughs> if he did stand up, he was the exact same, you know. So I, I just loved him. I mean, I think uh, at the time, all of the the impressions, the sound effects Jones did right. were like, "Oh, this is the best thing ever. This is he's the funniest guy in the world." But when you kind of revisit that. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, it doesn't hold up as well. No. It's not as funny as I thought. No. Indeed. Anyway. Um, that's a good place to end it, I think. An hour and a half. It's, it's, a, it's a good show. It's a good show. Um, <laughs> I, 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 really, I really enjoy these uh, kind of classics, uh, kind of revisiting. I guess we always get to see films that we've uh, not done so before. So, um can I just say that I have since re- compiled another list of classics that I haven't okay. seen, which I started to surprise myself with that as to what's on there. Um, uh, but I think you guys have done this one several <laughs> times. Um, yeah, I guess I've actually come up with a list of uh, classic <laughs> movies that we've all watched. So you've inspired us all, Imran. <laughs> of, of the Black Beauty, Shergard, and... Warhorse. <laughs> and um, War. Spirit. Spirit. Um, I know. Well, I look forward to this one again. Hopefully, we can do it again uh, fairly soon-ish. Um, thank you all for indulging me uh, and my uh, my classics revisiting. Uh, kick this go around. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Uh, thank you all for listening as well. Uh, you've been listening to another episode of the Close Encounters of the Nerd Kind. Please feel free to visit us at our website foreverinelectricdreams.com and we release episodes on the first and third Mondays of every month uh, from. Uh, all of us on the podcast today, thank you again, and we wish you farewell. Goodbye. Adios. Bye. Bye. <laughs>